Tonight's lesson is 26, and we're looking at the United States in Bible prophecy. Pretty exciting things to explore and see what Bible prophecy has to say about such a nation as the United States. But before we jump into our lesson tonight, let's have a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much again for this evening. Thank you, Lord, for your incredible blessings, for your mercies in our lives. Thank you for your love in Christ Jesus and for how you have brought us here tonight. Lord, that we are hungry to know you. We are hungry to know your word. We want to know the saving power of Jesus, and we want to know, Lord, the things you have revealed in your scriptures through prophecy. Tonight we are studying the book of Revelation as we continue our journey through the three angels' messages. And we want to understand about these last day powers described in Revelation 13. So we pray, Lord, that you would give us a clear and true understanding and help us, Lord, to know you and to follow you as we hear the message of your holy word. We thank you, Lord, and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, first question I have for you to just think about for a moment is, what are the countries that have the most political influence around the world today? And which one would you say is the most powerful? If we start looking around the world, look for the most powerful nations and the most powerful, what would you say is the most powerful? Any answers? America. America, right? right? Pretty much you look around the world, look at America. I mean, American currency is the reserve currency of the world right now. America is all over, all over the world, basically helping to control situations, to regulate things, and always, always a big, big key player in the political events that happen throughout the world with different leaders. So when we look at this country, we would say that certainly the United States of America is, is really at the top when it comes to countries and power in these last days of Earth's history. And you have to wonder, would a nation like that, a super powerful nation in the last days, would it be mentioned in Bible prophecy? It would make sense to have a, a superpower because we look at the great superpowers of the past. We've looked at Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. Then we've looked at the divisions of Rome when it broke apart and all those European nations that rose up and basically planted themselves and their influence all around the world. Again, today we're speaking English based on their influence. And so we look at all of those nations that were outlined in prophecy and it would make sense for a superpower like the United States of America to be mentioned in prophecy. Some people today suggest, oh no, the United States is not in Bible prophecy. But I want to look at not people's opinion, but exactly what does the Word of God say? What does the Bible say in prophecy? And so we're going to be exploring those things here in our lesson today. Let's take a look at Revelation 13. Now in the three angels' messages, it describes for us a beast power, describes for us an image to the beast, and it describes for us the mark of the beast. We're going to be looking at the mark of the beast coming up in the next lesson. But before we look at the mark of the beast, we need to dig into who exactly are the beast powers that are mentioned in Revelation 13. Because if you have no idea who the beast is, you'll never know what the mark is because it's the mark of the beast. So you really do have to know who is the beast or who are the beasts that are described. So we're going to explore that today by going to Revelation 13 
There are in fact two beast powers mentioned here in Revelation 13. And just to review, a beast power is what in Bible prophecy? A nation, a nation. We've learned that throughout the series. We've looked at the principles that are found in Daniel chapter 7, verse 17, describing the fourth beast as the fourth kingdom. And of course, verse 23 in Daniel 7, they describe the fourth beast as the fourth kingdom. Again, a beast is a kingdom. And so it's a power, it's a political power. This is what's represented by, by a beast. And so the Bible describes last day political powers here in Revelation that are affecting the whole world, really, and ultimately are fighting against God's people who are faithful to Jesus Christ and His commandments. And that's what we see here, that this whole last day crisis in Revelation 13, it's the three angels' messages that warn us to not follow along with that system. When the whole world commands you to worship the beast and his image and receive his mark, God is saying in the three angels, do not receive the, the mark of the beast. Do not worship the image of the beast. Do not worship the image or the, the beast itself, right? Don't worship these powers, but worship God, worship the Creator. And the Bible says, follow Jesus and keep His commandments. That's the patience and faith of the saints in the last days. They have the faith of Jesus and they keep the commandments of God, Revelation 14, verse 12. So, let's explore what God reveals about these beast powers, because the Lord wants us to know this. He does not want us to be left guessing, having guesswork. So in Revelation 13, verse 1, it says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Blasphemy is something that's, that's pronounced against God, right? And it's, it's rebellion against God, and it's proclamation that is offensive to God, that's insulting to God. That's blasphemy. And one of those things in particular is trying to claim the place of God, trying to claim the place of God. When Jesus uh, he forgave someone of their sins, they said, the, the Jewish leader said, hey, that's blasphemy. You're a man trying to put yourself in the place of God. And yet, we know that Jesus is God. We know that Jesus is divine. He has every right to have that role. And so we see that if a man tries to put himself in the place of God, that's blasphemous. And that's very much what the scripture is highlighting for us here with the names of blasphemy. We'll see more references to that. But you notice that the first beast here, he comes up out of the sea. Now we know from Revelation 17 and verse 15 that the sea or the waters represents peoples, nations, multitudes, or languages as well. So all of that is described when it mentions the harlot woman sitting on the waters, many waters, and here it mentions the sea, this beast that the woman rides upon. Same beast that the woman in Revelation 17 rides on, right? Comes up out of the sea, out of the waters here. And so that's a, that's a point that we need to keep in mind because there's another beast power in this chapter that rises up not from the sea, but from the earth. And that's a distinction that we definitely have to notice. We definitely have to notice that distinction. And we've noticed it a little bit in some of our other lessons, but we will we'll, um, look at that point again tonight in some detail. So if we look at 
chapter 13 now, and we've just read verse 1. Let's read verses 2 and 3. Can somebody please read that for us? And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him, gave him his power, and his seat, and his great authority. And I saw one of the heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Okay, thank you. So from, from verse 2 and 3, the Bible describes more about this beast. It says in verse 2, the beast that I saw was like unto a leopard, his feet were as the feet of a bear, his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Now, who is the dragon according to Revelation? Satan. Satan. Okay. We know that from the previous chapter here in Revelation. In chapter 12 and verse 9, it says that the dragon is Satan. It says, The great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. That's Revelation 12, 9. So we know that the dragon or Satan is behind the, the political power and prestige of this particular power that's being described, this particular beast. It says that the dragon gave him his seat and his great authority. Now what is, what is fascinating is that there's two aspects to this dragon. There's two aspects. There is, first of all, the great red dragon who is Satan, Revelation 12, 9. But the Bible also tells us that Satan was working through a dragon power to destroy this baby Jesus when he was born. And it describes that he was working through the nation of Rome. So that's, that's found in, in chapter 12. We know for a fact that Satan tried to use the Roman political power to destroy Jesus when he was a baby. Because notice this right here, uh, Revelation 12 and verse 3. It says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. So it shows us that it's not only Satan, but it's also the political power that he was choosing to use to try and destroy Jesus. And it's actually alluding back to the fourth beast of Daniel chapter 7, the beast that had ten horns and seven heads. Okay? So a beast with ten horns and seven heads, that was the fourth beast, that was Rome. We know that it was Rome that, that Satan worked through to try and destroy Jesus. So we have these two aspects. We have the dragon in verse 9 being Satan, and we have that Satan was working through this particular political power, the Roman one, the fourth superpower that was to rule from the days of Babylon coming forward. Now, what we see is that in these chapters, there are very, very direct ties, very, very direct connections to the prophecy of Daniel 7. As a matter of fact, all the beast powers that were mentioned in Revelation 13, looking from verse, uh, from verse 1 through 2, it actually, <clears throat> actually mentions, it says he, he saw this uh, beast come up out of the sea, and it says the beast had seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So already we're seeing an element that draws from the fourth beast of Daniel 7. We're already seeing the Roman element here coming up. Okay, Roman element. But then it describes something else. 
in verse 2, And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of the bear. Now, both of those animals are also in Daniel chapter 7. The Bible wants us to know there's a direct connection between these prophecies and the prophetic beast powers or nations of Daniel chapter 7. So, we have the one that is like the leopard, the leopard-like beast, and it says also the feet of the bear. The bear represented Medo-Persia, stood up on one side. The leopard had four heads and four wings, if you recall, from Daniel 7, and that represented the, the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great. So, essentially, you have one beast that is drawing from all of these previous beasts, all these previous nations, drawing aspects of culture, aspects of political power, aspects of their law systems, drawing much from these previous powers, and it's kind of all coming together into one, uh, one particular power. And it tells us that he has the mouth of a lion. Well, the lion represented Babylon, ancient Babylon, the lion with eagle's wings in Daniel 7, that was Babylon. That was a very common symbol in Babylon. And so he's got the mouth of a lion. And it's interesting also that we see this power with like a last day Babylon, Babylon the mother of harlots, right? We see a last day Babylon, last day application in Revelation 17. So after that it says in verse 2 that the dragon or Satan gave him his power and seat and great authority. We know that that's of course the devil, but we also recognize that, that handed over from Rome and handed over from Satan, this power draws his political power. This beast draws his political power. And again, the rising up from the sea is consistent with all of those other beast powers in Daniel 7. Because all of those beast powers in Daniel 7 rose up from the sea. Okay, so they've all got the same geographical area and location of many peoples and nations and basically where the old world was. Right, the Middle East and, and Europe, which was also covered by the Roman Empire before. That is the same geographical territory with all these peoples and languages and nations that they took power over. So the Bible is showing us exactly where this, this power rises up. He rises up in the old world where those empires, where those nations also rose up to power anciently. That's very important, knowing the, the location of where this power rises up. It did not rise up in Africa. It did not rise up in Asia. It did not rise up in America. It rose up in the territory of the old world, where those great superpowers rose up, rose up from the sea. So that's, that's very, a very important distinction. And we see that come back to play in the chapter as we continue on. Verse 3 says, I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Okay, so one of his heads were wounded, it was wounded to death. That means one of those seven heads, right? So the seven heads represent actually manifestations of this superpower throughout history, these different kingdoms that, that arose throughout history. But one of his heads was wounded to death, but then he recovers from the deadly wound. You might ask, or you might wonder, what is this other head? Because among those horns, there was another power that rose up in Daniel chapter 7, referred to as the little horn power, the little horn. But the little horn power did not stay very little. Although he's little, he's very boastful. So you might say little in size, yeah, that pretty much stays consistent. But little in power, no. 
<laughs> big in power. Big in power. It's always those little ones that bite you, right? Those little dogs. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it says little horns. So you got the little horn there. And what we find out is that the characteristics of the little horn match with the characteristics of this beast described in Revelation 13, verses 1 through 10. Because uh, the Bible says that in verse 4, they worship the dragon which gave power unto the beast. They worship the dragon, that of course is Satan, and they worship the beast, so they're worshiping the political power, saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Verse 5 says, and there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemous or blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. These are prophetic. It's a prophetic time period. And the 42 months are the same as 1260 days, each Bible month being 30 days long. So you have 1260 days, each day representing a year. We've studied this before, the period from 538 to 1798 with the persecuting power, the beast power. Now, the, the points here clearly match the little horn with this beast. When you look at Daniel 7, I'm going to turn there for just a moment, just a quick moment to Daniel 7. And when we look at these points, we find that, yes, the little horn perfectly matches the description of the beast, the first beast, in Revelation chapter 13. So, Daniel 7, and I'm going to look here at verse 8. It says, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. So you have a mouth speaking boastfully, speaking great things. And you have also the eyes of a man. So led by human wisdom rather than God's wisdom, like the ancient seers and the prophets. They received visions or direction, vision, eyesight, seeing, right? They received vision from God. And God showed them what was the right way to go. But this power has eyes like the eyes of a man. So he's led by human wisdom, and there is a man at the head of this organization or power. And they speak great uh, boastful things. Now when we look also to verse 20, it says this, And the ten horns that were in his head, and the other one that came up before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. Right? So he was more, more boastful, more prominent than his fellows, than the other horns, those other European kingdoms or nations. So again, this power is in Europe, in that area, comes up among them, but he is prevailing over them. He's pretty boastful. He's kind of pushing his way, this little horn. And then we see in verse 21, I beheld and the same horn did what? Made war with the saints and prevailed against them. So the believers were persecuted by this power. He made war against them. Verse 22, until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. So this power made war against them, you know, for quite some time. There's the 1260 that are mentioned, but the war even continues beyond that because they're not done yet. You notice how there's war and then the Ancient of Days comes? Judgment is made in favor of the saints. We've already looked at that from 1844. Especially there's a judgment hour that begins in the last days of Earth's history. We've learned about that judgment hour. And we learned about the period there, 1260, 
until 1798. And so then the Bible tells us something more in verse 25, and it says this. You know, verse 24 kind of leads into it, mentioning the ten horns, and then it says that this other one comes up, and he'll be diverse from the first, and will subdue three kings. So then verse 25, it says this, And he shall speak great words against who? The Most High. So if you're speaking words against the Lord God, that's blasphemous, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, blasphemous words. He speaks words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Why? Because he's making war with God's faithful saints, right? God's faithful people. And then we see that he will think to change times and laws and they shall be given into his hand until a time, times, and dividing of a time. Again, three, that's three and a half prophetic years. And so that's the same as a 42 months or 1260 days, which is the same as 1260 literal years, okay, being described here. That, that period of persecution in the Middle Ages from 538 to 1798. So we have words against the Most High, we have persecution or war against the saints, and we have this haughty power who is thinking to change times and laws. Not man's laws, but God's laws. Thinking to change God's laws, divine law. Um, obviously, no other law would make sense, but divine law, uh, they think they can change. And specifically, times and laws. And the, what we realize is that this power, the papal power, wanted to attack God's commandments, including the Sabbath, especially the Sabbath, right? That's one of the, the biggest things from God's commandments that they think that they can change. They, they will freely admit, the Roman church will freely admit that, hey, you know, Sunday is our special day that we made. And there's nothing in the Bible that tells you you can keep Sunday instead of Sabbath. But they said, look, we did this and everyone seems to agree with us. They think they can change God's set times and God's laws. They think that they can change from God's seventh day that God blessed and sanctified and rested on over to another day. God pronounced the seventh day of the week holy. And they think we can change God's time to any day we want. They think to change times and laws. That's how this, this power works. Very corrupt. Um, but in the end, they're fighting against God, His people, and His law, His authority. So, back to Revelation 13. It says in verse 4, They worshiped the dragon which gave power to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast who is able to make war with him? See, it's a war-making power. Verse 5, There was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. Exactly what we just read about the little horn. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Same thing we read about the little horn. It's the 1260 years, ultimately, from 538 to 1798. Verse 6, And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Verse 7, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. This is not a little power that's obscure. This is not something that you wouldn't know. It's something that you will know. It's a power that you will recognize, right? It's a global power. You're not going to miss it. And all the activities that it has done, persecuting the saints, the bloodshed of the saints. And you ask yourself, well, did the papacy, did the Roman church and state power um, rise up in blasphemy against God and blaspheme his name? Yes. They have blasphemed the character of God over and over and over again. That's blasphemy against the name of God. You're taking the name of God in vain and you're blaspheming the name of God before the whole world, living in sin, living in wickedness, promoting wickedness. And 
You ask, did they make war against the saints? Well, history says that nearly 50 million people were put to death because of the Roman church power, church and state power in the Middle Ages. Nearly 50 million people. And this between the Crusades and between, you know, killing the, the Albigenses and the Waldenses and all sorts of Christians who believed in, in biblical truth, wanted to follow God. And they were trying to fight and kill them. All the Protestants who were deemed as heretics and burned at the stake, all of these men who stood up for the word of God, they were attacked by the Roman church and state power. And so war was definitely made against the saints. Additionally, they have many blasphemous titles where they refer to the Pope as Lord God. They say, Lord God, the Pope. They refer to the Pope and the priests as Holy Father. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said, don't call any man on earth your father because one is your father in heaven. And he was, especially in that context, speaking about religious leaders. Don't go around calling these religious leaders, you know, father and this kind of thing because you have one father in heaven. And Jesus says, pray to our father in heaven. So when they start calling a man, Holy Father, as blasphemy against God, you're taking the name of God. You're taking the name of the Most High and blaspheming His holy name. So it's very clear how they have blasphemed the name of God in doing all of these things. Now, as we can see, everything lines up uh, for the details, the historical place, you know, coming up in Europe, among the other European nations, being boastful and powerful among them. The Roman church did this. Their influence has been mingled with European history throughout their history. And their influence has been an overpowering influence in Europe. And that's also one of the reasons why we have the Church of England today, because uh, the King of England got sick of the Pope telling him what to do. And he said, I'm going to make my own church called the Church of England. And he said, we were not going to have the Pope but they still maintain many uh, things that were from the Catholic Church, and unfortunately their theology in many respects has, has not been fully aligned with the Bible. You know, there's a number of things that are still connected with the Roman Church, and a lot of these Anglican churches have been going back to the Church of Rome even since the 1800s. So that should tell us something about everyone's heading back over to Rome. A lot of folks are anyway. Uh, Okay, so everything matches perfectly. All the details are there, the place, the timing, the uh, activities, the persecution, the blasphemous names, making war against the saints, all of that is there. Now in verse 8 it says this, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And this is where it starts to really hit the road. You've heard about the rubber hitting the road. <laughs> where you get traction. When you look at verse 8 and you realize that those who worship this power will not be in the Lamb's book of life. That's pretty serious. Yes. Because we're talking about salvation here. Like we want to be saved by Jesus Christ, by His blood, by His righteousness. We want to be saved by Jesus. But the Bible says that those who know better, those who know what God says, and they choose to exalt this particular power of man over the power of God, as a matter of fact, they will not be in heaven. If people choose to worship this power and put this man over God, they will not be in heaven. It says they will not be in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. And that gets pretty serious, doesn't it? That God is calling people out of the system because guess what? It's a satanic system. It's a demonic system. And it is fighting against the name of God. It's blaspheming the name of God. It's taking His name in vain. 
and it's not following the commandments of God. The one who instigated this power, the one who came up behind this power is the dragon. And the dragon is Satan. So he has made an organization, a system that is very political, and that's what a beast is, is a political power. It's political, but it's also religious because people are worshiping it. So they have both sides, and they've mixed, um, they've mixed politics and religion together. And that is a very, very dangerous thing. When you mix the church and state like that, guess what happens? Persecution. Because yeah. if you don't follow, then the state's going to enforce. If you don't do what they say, religiously speaking, the state's going to enforce it, and they're going to use the sword. In fact, the Roman Catholic Church has a, a two-sword policy. They call it a two-sword policy. And they look, at the, they look at the sword of God's word, and they say, well, we're going to teach it from you know, our our spiritual disciplines and teach it from the Bible, but not only the Bible, their catechism too, their traditions. If the people don't want to follow, then we can back it up with the other sword. We'll back it up with the sword of the state because the Bible says the state bears not the sword in vain, Romans 13. And so there's another kind of sword. That's the political power sword. So the Roman church has literally a two-sword policy. You can look it up. The two-sword policy where they, they blend those things together. And it's like basically convert or die type policy. Um, if they have the power, they will use the power. And they have had that power throughout history. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that they would receive a deadly wound. And that deadly wound happened in 1798 when General Berthier came. Uh, he was working under Napoleon in France. General Berthier came to the Vatican, took the Pope prisoner, took him by the sword, right? Took him prisoner back to France, and the Pope died in captivity. The Pope was put into captivity. He died there, and they lost that, that unchallenged reign of state power. They received a deadly wound, but you know, that deadly wound has been healing. And in 1929, there was an agreement made between uh, General, not General, um, what's his name, Cardinal, Cardinal Gaspari and the Italian leader Benito Mussolini. They had the Lateran Treaty that was made, or the Lateran Pact, and this agreement gave the Vatican back its state power, so that there within the city of Rome, it would also be, it would also have its own territory, be its own country, be a sovereign nation. So they're a very tiny but very giant nation, and yet their followers number in the millions around the world, in all kinds of countries. So they have received back their state power, their political power in Europe today, in the United Nations today. They are recognized as a political power, not only a church power. And they say, well, look, they're a political power and they're in Europe, so they're invited to be here. And so they, they're able to, you know, kind of justify having them all together. And yet it's a church power at the same time. A little different from the other nations in Europe, right? That horn, the little horn's a little different from the other ones, but he's very boastful, very powerful. So, 1929, they received back their state power, but other aspects of the wound have still continued to heal until today. Other aspects such as the political uh, popularity that they had, right? Political power and popularity. And so we see that, that over time, they've been gaining some popularity in world leadership circles. When you look at today, most of the nations of Europe and around the world are marching to the tune of the papacy. If you look at when, um, when Pope Francis came to America and Obama hailed, hailed his leadership back in 2015, and it says, you know, he, he was hailed as a moral authority and we need his moral leadership in the world today. 
and all of these uh, talks that are going on in the world among world leaders about the environmental problems that the world is having, global warming, all of this stuff. The papacy is the world leader in those conversations. The Pope's encyclical that he launched at that time, uh, it was 2014 or 15, I think it was 15, he launched his encyclical, Laudato Si. And Laudato Si was to get the world leaders all talking about our common home, our common good, and that's basically what the, the papacy defines, what is our common good in the world, and, and saying that we all need to come together in the world. We all need to put aside our differences and come together in the world. And they're trying to pull together all these global leaders. And they're very much respecting and listening to the Pope, to the papacy. And so he is seen as a mediator between countries. We also have um, the United States, years before, when the fall of communism happened, it was the, it was the Vatican and it was the United States that were working together to kind of bring things back together. So a lot of, a lot of healing of the wound has been happening. This power is becoming very, very prestigious today. But let's take a look now at verses 9 and 10. And this leads us up to, the, it'll lead us up to the next beast. Okay, verse 9 and 10 say this, If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Okay, so when it talks about the killing by the sword, you know, in verse... In verse 3, it says that he would have a deadly wound and be healed, and all the world would wonder after the beast, right? All the world is wondering after the beast, by the way, today. Okay, it says he would have a deadly wound, but that wound would be healed. So, deadly wound to a beast power means removing their political state power, right? If you are a nation, if you are a sovereign, sovereign country, and you receive a deadly wound to your sovereign country, you would not be a state power anymore, Correct? because your nation is taken down. And this is what happened. They, they, they lost their state power. Deadly wound to their political power, to their beasthood. To be a beast, to qualify as a beast, you have to be a state power, right? They received a deadly wound. Sorry, remove your state power. But that state power was given back from, from 1929, okay? And all the world is beginning to wonder even more and more after this beast power today. So when you look at these verses now in verses 9 and 10, it says that the saints, it says here's the patience and faith of the saints. The saints who were being persecuted by this power were waiting for that power to go into captivity. That power was leading the saints into captivity. That power was killing the saints by the sword of the state. And then God said in his word, the power who's leading into captivity will be led into captivity. The power who's killing with a sword will be killed by the sword. And it was a sword of military might from the French government under General Berthier and Napoleon that came in. It was the sword, the military sword of France that came in and removed the state power from the beast and led the Pope, the leader of the beast, into captivity in France. When all those years before, the sword of the state was used for the Pope and against the believers. And the believers were led into captivity and put in dungeons and all kinds of places where they were tortured and humiliated and suffered greatly and often died or were killed. So the saints were waiting for the papal system to get what was coming to them, to get a taste of their own medicine, 
Making sense? So the reason I spend time to review these, because we've looked at them before, the reason I do is because you have to understand this context clearly if you're ever going to identify the second beast. You have to understand it clearly because there's a very direct relationship. And so when we look now at verse 11 and 12 in Revelation 13, the Bible describes another beast. Who can read that for us? Verse 11 and 12. And I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. All right. Thank you very much. I would also mention in verse 14, right down at the end, it says of verse 14, the last part of verse 14, it says that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. So again, the wound uh, that was inflicted on the beast, the deadly wound, was inflicted by the sword of the state power. So just to, just to be crystal clear about what was happening and what the saints were waiting for in verses 9 and 10, they were waiting for that, that deadly wound to be inflicted by the sword. The Bible says that the wound was inflicted by the sword in verse 14 of this chapter. So back to verse 11 and 12, which you just read. It says, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. To understand the context of this beast coming up here, you have to realize that the first beast who came up out of the sea was being led into captivity right around this time. That papal beast, that papal system, the Roman church and state power, was going into captivity. The saints had been waiting for that deadly wound. That deadly wound, the captivity, and that wound by the sword happened in 1798. So around this time in history, around 1798, this specific time in history, the Bible is prophesying that we would see another beast coming up on the rise. Another beast would be rising to power that would reach a state of global dominance. That's very important to note. At this time in history, around 1798, was there another beast power, another state power that would reach global dominance that was on the rise to power at that point in history? If you look, there was. Yes, there was, right? If you look around the world, there was only one power in the entire world that was on the rise to global dominance around the year 1798, and that was the United States of America. In 1776, we declared independence from Britain, who was one of the other horns over there in Europe. We declared independence, 4th of July, right? And July 2 was also part of that story when they signed. And so you have the, um, the Declaration of Independence in 1776. So in 1798, this other beast was just getting led into captivity, and you now have a very young nation on the rise. Incidentally, the rise to power for the United States of America took a little time, right? Because you have the Declaration of Independence, 1776, but you still had other wars that, that happened going throughout history, right? You had other wars, like even in the 1800s, we were still having some wars with and some fights with Britain. So very clearly, this young nation was just on the rise. They had declared independence and they were coming up to power, rising up to power and dominance, while the beast power was receiving a deadly wound in 1798. 
Everything fits exactly from history as the prophecy foretold. And there are other very clear marks to let us know exactly who this power is, the second beast. We're going to look at that. The second point that we want to look at in verse 11 is, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. This is a great distinction where it says that he comes up out of the earth because all of the beasts in Daniel 7 came up out of the sea. They came up from Europe and the old world, the Middle East. And they rose to dominance there among all the peoples and nations and languages. But this one comes up from the earth. Incidentally, again, the papal system, the, fir the first beast here came up from the sea. But this one is coming up from the earth. And the earth would be the opposite of the sea, meaning not a lot of peoples and nations and languages, right? Like these older, established, very powerful nations. This one comes up out of the earth. Obviously, the earth is opposite from the sea, as clearly described in the scriptures. And if we look at our world today, the opposition of land and sea. And so we have here the earth representing a place where you don't have all those peoples and nations and languages. It rises up to power in a place that is away from, away from the old world, away from the place where the old world nations rose to power. This is in the new world, as we call it that rose up later in history, but also was influenced by those nations in, in Europe. Now, another point that we can bring out here is that the woman, the earth, the Bible says the earth helped the woman. When you look at the persecuted woman, because we've been looking at the persecuting power in verses 1 through 10 of Revelation 13, in Revelation 12, we have the persecuted woman, the saints who were in the wilderness. And the Bible says something very interesting about this woman in Revelation chapter 12 and looking down at verse 16. What does it say? As a matter of fact, I'm going to read 15 and then someone can read 16 of Revelation 12. Verse 15 says, And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. Can someone read 16? And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. Thank you very much. It says that the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which came from the dragon, from Satan. So the earth is, again, opposite from the waters, where you have all the peoples and multitudes and languages. And think about it. The church, the church was helped by fleeing out into the mountainous wilderness regions or areas where there were not a lot of people. And not only the regions that were like that in Europe, such as the Alps in France, but also the United States of America, the land of America. The Pilgrim Fathers were escaping religious intolerance and persecution in Europe, and they said, we want to get away from that, and so we'd like to go to the land or the shores of America, where there's not a bunch of peoples who are going to persecute us. So the earth helped the woman. This new land, without all those peoples and established powers and rules, was able to provide freedom for the believers who stood for the Protestant faith, who stood up against the papacy and their tyranny and their falsehood and their um, blasphemy, exalting man in the place of God. They stood up against all of that at the peril of their lives. And God provided a safe haven in the new world for these people. And so they came to America. And the Bible tells us here that this beast comes up at that time in history, around 1798. It was a new beast, a young beast rising up to power. 
comes up in the earth, sparsely populated region, United States does. Verse 11 also says he has two horns like a lamb and he spake as a dragon. So we have two horns like a lamb and that's important to, to note, two horns like a lamb, but he spake as a dragon. Now this is where it gets a little bit dangerous <laughs> because the Bible says again, two horns like a lamb. Now, a couple things we can observe. First of all, a lamb is a young creature. If you say a sheep, that's an old creature, right? A lamb is a young one. So again, we expect this is a young nation rising up to power, lamb-like. Also, we know that in Revelation, Jesus is called the lamb about 27 times. He's called the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So here we have a nation that rises up having two horns like a lamb. In other words, there must be some kind of Christian resemblance to this beast that's rising up, this power. There must be something about them, something in their power structure that makes them more like the lamb than the dragon that was persecuting and trying to kill Jesus back in the old world. Something different, more like the lamb. So their power structure, two horns coming up like a lamb. Now, you might ask, well, what would those two horns be? It is interesting to note that in the first beast, you had 10 horns and 10 crowns, very strictly kingdoms. In this verse, it doesn't mention the crowns on the horns, but it does mention the horns, two horns like a lamb. And there's a principle that Jesus laid out when it comes to, to the relationship of God and man and government and how, the, how we are to relate, you know, earthly governments, secular governments, how are we to re relate between God's kingdom, our personal lives, and governments of the world. How are we to relate here? Jesus actually outlined this. Jesus outlined this truth. And we find it in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 21. So let's take a look there and we'll come back here to Revelation. Matthew 22 and verse 21. Somebody who finds it can read it for us. Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Thank you very much. So in, this, in the context here, um, they were asking, do we need to pay tax to the government? They were asking him this question. They asked Jesus, and he said, why do you tempt me? And he said, show me the money. Jesus said that a lot, long time ago, show me the money. <laughs> he said, show me a coin. Show me one of the coins. And he said, whose image and superscription is that? Who's on the coin? And they said, Caesar's, verse 21. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. So Jesus drew a line here. He said, you know what? Some things belong to Caesar, like that money you're holding. That belongs to Caesar. So you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. If Caesar asks for tax, then you go ahead and pay your tax. <laughs> but he said, Give to God what belongs to God. And what belongs to God? Your soul. What belongs to God? Your obedience, my obedience. We are to obey God. So if the question arises, if there's a difference between the government commanding one thing and God commanding, which is something different than the government, the earthly government, who do we obey? Do we obey God or do we obey man, the government? We obey God, right? Because God comes first. Our allegiance is to be to God. We must obey Him. We have examples of this in the book of Daniel. We have in chapter 3, the great image that was made to Babylon, which parallels this story, right, in Revelation. 
and they were commanded to bow down to the image that was made to Babylon, commanded to bow down. And they said, no, we're not going to bow down. I'm sorry, it doesn't matter. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but we can't do it because we fear God, not man. So they said, we're not going to break God's commandment. You, if you tell us to break God's commandment, we won't do it. So you see, governments are supposed to legislate and enforce the last six commandments, the second table of the Decalogue, which deals with our relationship to each other. Like, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't kill, don't tell lies. Like, governments should uphold those relationships, righteous relationships between people. And then uh, governments should not deal with the first Decalogue. In other words, telling you who and how to worship. Like, you know, God says, I'm God, worship me only. Okay, don't make any graven images, don't worship those. And tells us, don't take my name in vain. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Government should not tell you anything about those ones. They shouldn't enforce one of those. Because then they're, then they're, they're sponsoring a state religion. So, so Jesus, actually, the Lamb, Jesus, separated the kingdoms of men from the, kingdoms, from the kingdom of God. Right? Kingdoms of men from the kingdom of God. Jesus separated those two kingdom powers. So when you look at Revelation 13 and you see that it has two horns like a lamb, it actually separates two very specific kingdom powers. It separates God's kingdom power from man's kingdom power. Right? And if you look at what America was founded on, that was the very first thing at the top of people's minds when it came to America and establishing this government of this new land, this new country, America. It was on separating those, t those things. Notice here, the United States Constitution, Bill of Rights, Amendment Number 1. First one, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. This is the same amendment that protects our freedom of speech and freedom of the press. And it gives you the right to assembly, that you can freely assemble in this country and worship God and do what you please. You have that liberty. The state's not going to tell you who to worship. The state's not going to tell you how to worship. You're free to worship the God that you want to worship. It was not that way in the old world. And the founders of this country, United States of America, they knew that. They knew the troubles from Europe. And they said, no way. We don't want a pope breathing down our neck. And we don't want the king breathing down our neck. And so it was a government of the people, by the people, for the people. Two great principles this country was founded upon, republicanism and Protestantism. In other words, you have a government without a king and you have a church without a pope. Republicanism and Protestantism. These are the secret to America's great power, is having those two kingdoms separated and having the principle of republicanism and Protestantism. They were not going to follow the pope. You want a church without a pope, right? So you can't dictate and control all the aspects of your life. These two principles, these two things, were the secret of America's power. And so the Bible describes this separation of man's kingdom and God's kingdom and republicanism and Protestantism. It describes it in having two horns like a lamb. Two horns like the lamb. Two horns like Jesus would teach a government to run in this world. Pretty powerful, right? So when you look at all the aspects... You have a Christian-like nation coming up around 1798, coming up not in the old world, but out of the earth in a sparsely populated region of the world. 
and then becoming a superpower. Pretty amazing, right? But the scary part is what we see at the end of verse 11. He spake as a dragon. That, that represents a character change, right? Because if you are like a lamb, but then you begin to speak like the dragon, then you're in trouble. What business does a lamb have speaking like a dragon? Okay, you look one way, but then you're going to speak another way. And we're going to get into that here in just a bit more. We'll, we'll get into that in some detail. But I want to point out a couple more things from this chapter, and then we'll look at how this all comes together. So verse 13, it's, oh, no, 12. Verse 12 says this, And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, uh-oh, whose deadly wound was healed. Okay, so you look at what kind of power does this nation have? This power has global dominance. This power has global influence, okay? Does the United States of America fit the bill on that one too? Yes, it does, yes, it does right? So having global influence and power, exercising all the power of the first beast before him. And, but they, then here's the problem. It says that ultimately he causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship that is commanding worship, that's false, it says worship the first beast. We already learned the first beast is the papacy, the church, the Roman church and state system, not the people, but the system. It says that um, he, he commands people to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So in other words, the most powerful country or state in the last days starts to make gestures towards the most powerful church of the old world, which is the Roman church. Is that making sense? And the Roman church was always trying to get the state powers of Europe to support and enforce their dogmas. That's what they did throughout Europe's history. And it worked. And the saints were persecuted and killed. Anyone who disagreed with the Roman church. And so now in the last days, you notice how the devil moves things. You notice how the dragon moves and shifts things. That he takes this super powerful nation that has lamb-like principles and then twists it so that it begins to speak like the dragon and begins to enforce false worship upon the world. Worship that is directed back to the papacy. Worship that is directed back to the first beast who was wounded by the sword. So United States of America is said in prophecy to eventually start heading towards the Pope. Now, has this been happening more and more in our world today? Yes. You, you look at like the leaders of our, of our um, you know, Congress, right? And there's a lot of Catholic influence in there. You look at our president today, and he is very openly Roman Catholic. And in fact, he says he fully supports the social agenda of the Roman Catholic Church. Fully supports their, their agenda, right? And so you look at that, and you look at the Supreme Court as well. The majority of the justices today are now Roman Catholic. So there's a lot of Roman influence in the leadership of the United States of America. Most of the leaders in the United States of America today are trained in Jesuit schools, Jesuit universities. Jesuits are Roman Catholics who were sworn to take down Protestantism at all costs and defend the Pope at all costs. Their organization developed in the 1500s and as part of the Counter-Reformation to fight against the Protestants, they, they swore themselves to defend the Pope at all costs and take down Protestants. 
and they have been working in the educational realms throughout the world to control countries, especially in the higher realms of education. They want to control and train up leaders to kind of mold them in their way. So you look at some of the political division and political problems we're having in our country today, and you wonder, well, how did we come to this? Because a lot of people don't want to follow how the United States was established with our Bill of Rights and Constitution. They don't want to follow the original plan. They want to mold it towards a socialist plan. They want to mold it towards something that favors the Roman Church's power, something that will ultimately allow the Roman Church to have greater power in the world today. And so there's a lot of, a lot of coming together here in these last days, and ultimately it will come to the point where they literally enforce a, a very notable uh, part of worship for the Roman Catholic Church. It will be enforced by United States of America. The Bible says that they will speak as a dragon. When a nation speaks, what are they doing? Are they not commanding you or telling you what you need to do if they speak? How does a nation speak? They write laws. They tell you what to do. So the Bible says they're going to make laws, they're going to speak in a way that will favor the Roman Catholic Church and cause people to worship that system who was wounded by the sword and yet was healed. Pretty incredible when you think about it, right? So I want to point out a couple more things here so we can bring this together and wrap it up. So verse 13 now says this, And he doeth great wonders, so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Okay, so great wonders in the last days. And some people might think, okay, maybe very literally, are they going to cause fire to fall down and impress the world? You know, um, that, that from, a, from, a very, from a secular standpoint is possible, but I think there's something greater to what's being said here. Okay, there's something greater to what is being said here when it talks about the fire falling from heaven. There are several instances in the Bible, in history, sacred history, where fire fell from heaven. One of those instances was on Mount Carmel with Elijah, the prophet. The one prophet of God versus all those false prophets of Baal. And, and Elijah was able to call down fire from heaven and there was a great revival. And he said, get rid of the false prophets because here's the true prophet and here's the true God. That, those idols are false gods, right? So Satan could not make fire fall. They tried. Those pagan priests tried all day. They couldn't make fire fall. But God made fire fall for his true prophet. And they knew who the true God was that day. There was a great revival in the land of the true faith and the true religion of God. Then we have also in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. The, the early church was praying in the upper room. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. And there appeared like cloven tongues of fire upon their shoulders. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they went out to proclaim the word of God with great power and people were baptized and surrendered to the Lord. Another great revival in history represented by fire. Okay? Now there's another incident of fire in the Old Testament where the sons of Aaron offered something before the Lord that was not fire from God's fire. They did not get it from the Lord but they had another kind of fire which was noted as strange fire strange fire and they put it in their censers, their incense burners. They put it there and they brought it to God in the temple 
And the Bible says that they so deeply offended God that fire came from the midst of the holy sanctuary out of the sanctuary and devoured these guys. The divine fire was angry at this counterfeit fire that they had brought in their censers. This strange fire it was not of God. It was something different. Okay? So you have all of these instances uh, from a spiritual context of fire that are connected with revival. Connected with revival. But in this case, they perform a miracle, so fire falls from heaven, and this leads people into this movement to join up and say, yes, this is good for America. This is what America needs. Let's do this. Fire from heaven, but it's not really from the Lord. Because that, the context is clear. This fire is not coming from God, is it? Because it says there, uh, he does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven. It's not literally coming from the Lord God, but it's coming from ultimately Satan. It's coming from the evil side, fire from heaven. So people are deceived by this. There's a great false revival movement like, let's bring God back into the picture. Let's bring God back into America. Let's get America back on track. Sounds kind of good, yeah? But what are they going to ultimately do? They're going to legislate dogmas of the papacy. That's pretty dangerous, isn't it? And so there's a false revival movement that takes place in the last days connected here with this event and with worship and with the United States of America and with the Roman church system. Start to look at all the players and pieces coming together. So then we see in verse 14, He deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Saying, so it's not coming from the beast, but it's like the first beast in other words, but it's coming from the second beast. And in particular, we're going to see um, one party that really gets involved in this. Notice, um, it says, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by the sword and did live. Now, if you make an image to the beast, that means you're, you're essentially copying the characteristics of the beast, right? We see who the beast is, mixing church and state, controlling the world. The Roman Catholic Church did that in the Dark Ages, 1260 years. In the last days, this power, these people want to make an image to the beast, right? An image to the beast. So there's an image being made to the beast. They're saying, look, let's make an image to the beast. Let's bring back God into America. Let's bring back revival into America. Let's pray for the Holy Spirit in America. All of it sounds pretty good. And then you start to legislate a religion into your nation and give religious leaders and lobbyists power to do what they want to do. And what was it that led to the crucifixion of Jesus? Was it not the religious leaders of the days of Christ that lobbied the government, Pilate, to take Jesus and nail him to a cross when even Pilate said, I don't want to do this. I don't think it's right. It's not fair. How can you nail that man to a cross? He did nothing. But they screamed louder and pushed their ways and lobbied their ways. And the power came up from the people, especially religious leaders among the people and the religious leaders making the people chant, hey, let's do this. And so they pushed this on Pilate and he used his state power to back a corrupt religious power to crucify Jesus. Will that not happen in the last days towards the followers of Jesus? The devil tried to destroy Jesus when he was here through the Roman power. 
The devil wants to destroy the followers of Jesus in the last days. His beast power that persecuted for 1260 years received a deadly wound, but the deadly wound gets healed and Satan says, all right, I've got it. Now I'm going to make this nation, the United States of America, to speak like a dragon. I'm going to make this nation to legislate religious laws that will put true believers of the Word of God in jeopardy. So you can go along with a religious system, but you don't have to follow all the commandments of God. You see the difference here? Because you notice that the, the patience of the saints when it comes down to the final crisis is mentioned in the three angels' messages. Revelation 14 shows us how not to follow that system in Revelation 13. And it says in chapter 14, verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, right? Remember there was a patience of the saints in the Middle Ages and they were just keeping God's commandments and being persecuted, but they were waiting for that power to go into captivity. Patience of the saints during the Middle Ages. Now here we look at the patience of the saints in the last days, in the final crisis of Revelation 13. And the patience of the saints are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. You see, there's a, that's the dividing line. The dividing line in the last days is, do you keep the commandments of God the Creator? Or do you keep the commandments of man? When you follow Jesus, you want to have the faith of Jesus. You want to walk in the way of Jesus. You want to live for Jesus. You want to do His will. That is where God wants us to be. He does not want us to follow these government powers who use the state power to legislate a corrupted form of religion that is not according to God's commandments, that is not according to the faith of Jesus. So, when we look at this passage, the Bible mentions that they make an image to the beast which had the womb by the sword and did live. And notice verse 15, He had power to give life unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So notice what it ultimately comes down to. Persecution, killing, bloodshed, just like in the Middle Ages, but at the, the final crisis in the last days. It comes back. History often repeats itself. And so it comes back in the last days, full force. And you look at our world today. Is our world today intolerant? Yes. Dis does our world today, does our world today try to stop free speech? Yes. They try to control you and say you have to do it this way or else you won't be able to work, you won't be able to buy, you won't be able to do this or that. I mean, they try to control you. We just saw it recently with COVID, the whole situation, where the leaders of the world, the mindset of the world, the thinking, the rationale, even in United States of America, supposedly free America, leaders came down trying to control everybody and to just close up everyone for the supposedly common good, the common good of our nation, the common good of humanity around the world. And now we can take away your rights and we can take away your right to assemble. We can close you down. So this stuff has been, has been practiced very recently, revealing to us the mindset. And you know, of course, this concept of cancel culture, right? Yes. Shut everybody down. If we don't like what you say, if we don't agree with you, then you know what? You're not, you're not teaching the truth. You must be teaching lies because you don't match our official teaching. So we're going to shut you down. We're going to take away your influence. Okay? This is papal dogma that is being used in our culture today. And here's the very sad thing. Remember the strength of America was republicanism and Protestantism. You have a government that did not have a king and you have a church that did not have a pope right? Protestantism, 
Protestantism was the strength of this country. But now this country is going back and more and more towards Catholicism. And guess what? The supposedly Protestant world, they're saying the Catholic Church is our brother. The Catholic Church, you know, this is, a, this is a, we share the common faith. We share the gospel. We share Jesus. The Protestant, supposedly Protestant world is not Protestant anymore. They are believing in this universal Catholic Church and somehow we're becoming more and more part and we're, we're putting away our differences. We're healing our old wound of the past. We're coming together. And so you have the daughter churches of Babylon coming together with the mother church, the mother of harlots, and saying, look, we're really aligned here. We're really on the same team. And so when you see that starting to happen, then you realize, whoa, that this country is about to make an image to the beast because these supposed Protestants are not really Protestant anymore. They have stopped protesting against the papacy and the Roman Catholic Church, and they don't want to speak up or say anything about it. They want to sing the praises of Rome. And so because they're doing that, now they're going to make an image to the beast. Protestant America is going to say, you know what, we need to get back to God. Let's start legislating our beliefs, our dogmas, our ideas in the government of United States of America. In fact, let's get, let's get us back to the worship day. You know, let's get America back to a day of worship for God. Let's give America time for families. Let's, let's revive America. And all this stuff is coming down the pipeline where uh, the churches are ready to legislate a whole bunch of things in the government if they can. And you read what's online and you hear what people are saying and they're doing this right now. Yes, they are. Right? They're doing this big time right now. That, that we've got to revive America by legislating these kinds of uh, you know, dogmas or teachings or, or rules of life. They want the government to enforce their own teachings in the church. And so America is coming back. It's, it's leaving its early power, its early freedom, its early blessings, its early constitution, Bill of Rights and amendments. It's getting away from those principles. It's sacrificing those principles and coming back over to the Roman system. And especially as the church leaders lobby for their way and they push it up the pipeline, leaders of America will bow to it. Have we seen weak leadership in America? Have we seen bowing to please the people in a number of respects? We've seen these kinds of things, you know? And they want to bring religion back into politics. That's the big idea that a lot of people have today. Let's bring religion back into politics. Let's mix it up. You know, let's get rid of that supposedly bad metaphor, separation of church and state. Let's get rid of that and let's bring it all back. Let's bring it all back. We're gonna get God back into everything and on the surface, it sounds like, okay, that's good, you know, like bring God back, yes. But what kind of worship of God are you going to legislate? You're going to worship something and, and legislate something that, that actually flies in the face of God and His commandments, flies in the, faith of the, in the face of the genuine faith of Jesus Christ. And so this is the situation that America is heading for. And we look at how they, they cause people to be killed, they make an image of the beast, especially Protestantism, apostate Protestant churches. Make it for, they, they themselves form an image to the beast. And it says that there's, um, in verse 15, they have power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image should both speak and cause. So, so this new form of power and this Protestant uh, you know, influence in America that's not really Protestant anymore, making an image to the beast and forcing people, causing people 
both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, verse 16, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 660 and 6, or threescore and 6. Now, those details, we're going to be getting onto them more in our next lesson, where we look exactly at the mark of the beast. We've already learned today who the beast powers are. We see that this, this nation has global influence, global economic influence, because they control buying and selling. It has global military power because they can enforce a death threat, right? Globally, they can also influence the other nations of the world to do things. And you look at the even recent history, decisions that were made in America and American politics have often trickled out to the rest of the world. Is that true or not? Did that happen with the rainbow uh, pushing rainbow agenda, right? Okay, in America, this country pushed it, and guess what? It filtered out to a lot of other countries in the world. Okay, this has happened with many things in America's history, and this is what we're looking at, that the time is upon us. The time is upon us when these powers are coming together. Apostate Protestantism, the Roman Church system, United States of America, making an image to the beast, and commanding people to worship in a way that honors the papacy. Very dangerous. Mixing church and state. Um, the largest church of the old world with the largest superpower of the new world mixing together and taking their power and putting it towards, ultimately, Satan's agenda. Wow. So the question comes to us today, who do you want to follow? Will it be Jesus and His commandments or will it be the beast and their way of worship, their way of false worship? We have to make that decision, and the whole world is going to be pushed to make that decision. Whether we'll stay true to Jesus and what He says in His Word, in His commandments, in God's commandments, or what the beast says and the beast's commandments, right? These are the big issues, the big questions. It's all about worship here. Who do you worship? Who do you bow down to? And behind it all is the dragon, Satan, who wants to ultimately be worshipped through these systems. And he says, just bow down to me, just bow down, and I'll give you all you want. Just bow down. That's what Satan wants, is for us to bow down and be unfaithful to God. He quotes Scripture too. That's right. He'll quote Scripture too. And that's exactly what he does here. And he legislates a certain form of worship that he himself instigated, which dishonors God, dishonors the name of God. The names of blasphemy are in that organization. So, I want to follow God today. How about you? I want to stand, stand for the Lord, you know. Stand for the Lord and don't go into these things where they mix up religion and politics and legislate the dogma of the beast. I don't want that. I want to follow Jesus Christ and the commandments of God. The commandments of God. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Not man's commandments, but my commandments is what Jesus says. So why don't we have a word of prayer as we close up our lesson here tonight. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your blessings and mercies tonight. We thank you for your truth from your word. And we pray, Lord, that we will be faithful to you, that we will be able to follow you, to follow Jesus our Savior, and to keep your commandments in the midst of apostasy in the last days, in the midst of corruption, political and religious corruption in the last days that will ultimately influence the entire world. Lord, we just pray for your help and your strength in Jesus Christ to stand faithful to you and to walk with you and to glorify your name. For this, Lord, we pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.